Today, we discuss Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witnesses have been Jehovah's Witnesses for over 200 years with their over 200 year history. They claim to be Christian and yet at the same time, like so many other cults before and after them, tend to rewrite the Bible, adding in little cherry-picked details whenever they feel like it. I currently have I was currently writing this episode when I was at Petoskey over the weekend, so perhaps it might be shorter, perhaps it might be longer. Who knows? Just make sure to rate the show. We talk about the Jehovah's Witnesses today. Stay tuned. so much once again for listening to this podcast production. Welcome to the show if you're here for the first time. Make sure that you try to spread the show all over the world where it is streamed in France, India, and the UK, and all over the US, and wherever else this show is streamed. Perhaps it's streamed on Mars for the billionaires who are up there currently, if any of them are. I'm not completely sure, but make sure to review uh, this religious show cult as you listen to it. But of course, if you fail to review this religious cult show while still listening to it, there might be a possibility that Amit from the Egyptian lore in religiosity, also known as that crocodile line hippo, might attack you in the middle of the night or the middle of the day. I'm not really sure. You can look up what it does in Egyptian lore and, you know, I guess rate this podcast production. I'm not sure that's what I heard from the unreleased episode of Ancient Aliens from five years ago. Anyways, time to get into the show for today. So before diving headfirst into one of the most wannabe not Christian cults out there, and yet wannabe Christian cults out there from the past two centuries, we have to begin to understand exactly why they have centered in on having the word Jehovah pasted and plastered all over their religious cult all the time. And mind you, again, I am just coming from a weekend up in Petoskey, so if my sentence structure sounds like I uh, have been drinking too many IPAs, then you'll know exactly why, because vacation basically does that to people. So the name Jehovah as a large amount of people recall, at the very least, when people remember Jewish and Christian Catholic history for the most part, comes from the representation in the Old Testament as one of the main names of the Orthodox Jews that they gave to their God biblically. And later, this name of God is, adapt is adapted by the witnesses, but also, ma but also makes a large amount, again, of history not exactly be the same a lot of aspects of the Bible are left in for the whole Maliphant understanding of people to not realize that it isn't actually Christian, which is actually a pretty conniving way, but a pretty smart way of doing that. But later on, uh, the whole name of Jehovah will make sense when it comes to the restrictions, uh, or the majority of the restrictions that the witnesses have uh, in their occult entirely as a whole. In the Hebrew terms, the name of Jehovah means the eternal one, the unchangeable one, and the one who is and the one who is to come. Of course, by a Christian Catholic standard representing Christ, 
and by an Orthodox Jewish standard representing God as a whole. And it's one of the main names that was directly stated to Moses on Mount Sinai when Moses, of whom the witnesses also have other ideas for in their own thought process, had for the proper name of God as well. With the name of Jehovah given, it was meant, of course, to properly redirect the Jewish population to not at all dive into the paganism of the surrounding people groups. Particularly, there's also one other name that stands out in the same light that the Jehovah's Witnesses also detest, and I don't really have many Jehovah's Witnesses friends whatsoever at all, so I can't really tell you how much they exactly know of the detailed practices of this god, but the god's name is Chemosh, and Chemosh was worshipped by the Moabites in biblical times, and also has somewhat of the same ring to it, translated as all fantastic or mighty or wondrous, which if you recall, was also a people that threatened Israelites on numerous occasions, which is exactly why biblically God told the Jewish population not to participate in what they were doing in biblical history. And well, of course, they did other many not wondrous things as other historians tend to know. It's of course not surprising that this name was elected to represent the group in the year 1st of 1931 in Columbus, Ohio, by the next head man to Russell, who Russell was the, of course, as I said, originally in like the five second opener, was the man who completely started the whole entire thing. The name of the man that is in second in command is Judge Rutherford, which of course with the first name of Judge kind of makes him perfect for the role, considering that cult leaders always consider themselves to be the main judges and the complete authoritarian figure. As it merged together with the groupings of the Dawn Bible students and the layman's home ministry movement that were both also started by Russell, they all merged together in a large combination and later on became what we refer to as the Jehovah's Witnesses to the rest of the world today. So as originally stated, the cult was wholeheartedly formed by Russell, who beforehand was running a large amount of businesses on the side, where he went all the way up in the ranks of multiple uh, Jehovah's Witness headquarters later on eventually. But before he did that, Russell was born in the year February 16th, 1852, and he rose in the ranks of several men's dress stores which, in the business of money-making industries like sales and marketing, can easily rise up a leader of a cult in which money is the complete motivator and bad theology upholds both of these characteristics and as the reason for some of the rules we will discuss later on when it comes to dressing a certain way. Walter Martin, in his book Kingdom of the Cults, discusses some parts of Russell's upbringing that although he was raised in the Christian church denomination, of the Scot-Irish Presbyterians, he decided to outcast the idea of eternal damnation in hell that, of course, the Bible biblically upholds. Personally, it's not surprising to me that Russell elected for this view, coming from the upbringing of the Presbyterian Church, figuring out that a large amount of rejection of the spiritual gifts and the biblical view of the supernatural from Catholic perspectives, and of course the future appropriation of the Pentecostals, was also upheld in the Presbyterian Church and still is today, and other non-denominational churches also disagree with this fact, so sometimes when churches tend 
to completely throw off spiritual gifts and tend to throw off other forms of spirituality within the Christian faith, there's often a huge throw-off of eternal damnation as a result. And of course, that can be why we shouldn't at all throw out either one of them, as both of these holes completely partakes to the major hole, that is, salvation and or damnation. And of course, what's going to happen as soon as someone dies? Russell would then, of course, go on uh, in an effort to denounce the beliefs of organized religions as a result, which is an opposite action that anyone want to, would want to do if they were actually Christian or Catholic. And of course, this completely disunifies someone from the main Christian church. And of course, from a Mormon or other cult uh, religions, they reword the gospel and rewrote the gospel and still keep doing it in a large way. And of course, this hides their wrong theology. And, and this is what cults wholeheartedly mean. Uh, they, they, they don't mean to do this. They mean to be biblical. But of course, they are, in a sense, brainwashed themselves. So they brainwash others as a whole instead of completely, completely adhering to the true faith. Christianity. And of course, we do this today. We allow any and every type of person to completely mold us and completely mold our mind, not only by the means of spiritual gifts and spirituality, but also by the means of everything else that has to do with who we are. Of course, we see this in the LGBTQ plus community. We see it a lot in politics, and we also see it in other areas of life completely all the time when it comes to even you know business businesses and marketing as we mentioned with Russell you know moving up in the ranks I can't tell you how many businesses and how many you know music industry businesses how many detailed symbolic representations there are when it comes to other forms of privately owned businesses or majorly corporate owned businesses there's a lot of eye, uh, medical eye care centers that have the, you know, Isis and Osiris uh, eye on them. There's a lot of Egyptology used there. There's even aspects of the cult hidden all around us. And of course, this helps cults to form and helps cults to completely cultivate. Now, on particular theology, for starters, on the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, theology, on the doctrine of the Trinity, this is one of the most well-known things that people realize when they're first dealing with Jehovah's Witness theology. The Witnesses completely disregard the doctrine of the Trinity, and they pay the same respects to the ideas in terms of hell and eternal torment and eternal torment after death following never knowing Christ due to the fact that they both view Christ as not entirely God and due to the fact that Russell believed all those things as well. The Jehovah Witnesses believe that the Trinity does not exist and they also believe that Jesus Christ is the first creation of God. And of course that kind of pinpoints Jesus to almost be Adam but still not Adam at the same time. The Holy Spirit is not part of God and of course there's no Holy Spirit at all within this theology, but there's only Jesus Christ and God as two. 
They also accept Jesus to not be the same as God, although Jesus does have characteristics that are not exactly the same as a normal person or a normal human being. He is not God. The concept is that only God is God. In a sense, it's almost the thought uh, it's almost the thought concept of the Orthodox Jewish belief system where they simply believe only God is God. And of course, that's also what Muslims to an extent believe, that only Allah is God. Only Allah can possibly be Allah because they take Allah from the ancient Aramaic to mean God. But of course, here, Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims, and Orthodox Jews would not at all see eye to eye on anything and they really won't even see eye to eye on that topic. And of course, they would not draw each other as equals. And of course, if Jehovah Witnesses were around during the time of the New Testament, well, of course, draw your own conclusions there. Now, diving into a bit of more detail into who Christ actually is in their perspective, the Witnesses are taught that Christ is more than a man, but he's not entirely God either, and that he was human, and at the same time, God is completely separate from Jesus Christ which of course is polyism. That is a heresy, which is a belief that God is separate from Jesus. And of course that also includes the Holy Spirit, but they again, don't exactly put that at all into the entirety of the viewpoint. Yet at the same time, they also suspect that Jesus was the first creation and even adding on to the first creation, he was the Archangel Michael, which makes things interesting. And if I'm gonna be honest, kind of sort of sounds like an anime. This also makes Jesus Christ extremely complex, but just in a way that's more heretical than Bible-based. If anything, this is something that should, of course, make people be very, very wary, watchful, and it should make people understand that just because someone implements the name Jehovah or implements God into something, it doesn't entirely mean that it's biblical-based structure. Now diving a little bit deeper into the theology here, they enjoy free will. They love free will completely 100%. And of course, this is where I would say I would be, you know, if I wasn't Christian and Catholic, I would be more likely to be a Jehovah's Witness if I just looked at the free will aspect of the theology. This is the most mild form, but somewhat a concept, you know, that I would agree with them on it. But uh, of course, not 100% completely, at least when diving into every detail of their free will theology with the witnesses. But it's on terms of better theology than the majority of what they believe. Witnesses completely reject predestination in its entirety and universal salvation in its entirety, which universal salvation means this idea of once saved, always saved, which is something that all Calvinists heavily enjoy, despite the fact that Paul basically says several instances in the Bible, which you know somewhat sort of refutes that. Of course, there's areas of the Bible that do have that concept there, but Paul is a big voice to say that you have free will and you must decide correctly. Now, on predestination, obviously that says that God predestines everything, and 
there's 100% no concept, thought process, or choice that is 100% you. And it's 100% devoted to whether or not you make the correct decision or completely within the realm of what you are you know, choosing to take part in. Sadly, sometimes this concept just by itself, the predestination concept, makes people turn from faith entirely, and I can think of a large amount of people who also have turned from faith just on the causation of free will due to the fact that something has happened in their life that was free will based and didn't entirely go their way, or completely didn't go their way. Free will, on the other hand, assumes that people have the entirety to choose their fate and choose which path to follow. And of course, this is also something somewhat important in Buddhism that you have to follow the right you know, leisure of the path, but that's not exactly what we're talking about today. People, no matter what, decide what they want to do and what not to do. And they completely decide whether or not that they want a messiah or religion figure in their life. Free will upholds a decent majority of the details in the governing system of the prison system, for instance, that people go to jail because they commit acts of violence, evil, or criminality, not just because they were made for it, which is more of an argument that can stand for predestined evil and a predestined uh, will sort of theology argumentation, which of course Jehovah's Witnesses wouldn't exactly be for and would heavily debate against. Now, from an online documentation on their main website from the Witnesses, it discusses free will a little bit here. It says, quote, treasure your gift of free will. And it quotes their version of the Bible by saying, quote, where the spirit of Jehovah is, there's freedom, unquote. Of course, being a rewritten version of where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, using the logic, of course, that straightforwardly comes from the Bible. This is not biblically accurate. But of course, it hides that fact by simply stating Jehovah. Now, there's a lot here, so I'm going to condense it in the best way I possibly can. The website on jw.org, which is the main website, hides the facts we discussed earlier about their origin of Jesus Christ, different from the Bible. They also still hide the two human aspect that Jesus is within this section of the online resource. As they say, quote, Jesus chose to exercise his free will and reject the adversary, unquote, instead of saying he simply wasn't God. Of course, you can realize that this is a cult based on that, because if they simply added, oh, quotations, he simply wasn't God, then it would be very, very clear and obvious. But they are very smart here, and they say Jesus chose to exercise his free will and reject the adversary, which, of course, is just basically, you know, one-sixth of the whole when it comes to the complexity of who Jesus was. And, of course, their reality is that they remove all of the actual biblical complication, or not complications, but complicated theological endeavors, and then replace more complicated theological endeavors of their own that, of course, would suit better for anime. Now, the witnesses here use free will still in the wrong way. After discussing some biblical-based history that seems completely fine, but is actually meant from a non 
theoretical biblical perspective. But when someone digs a little bit deeper, as I said before, the Jehovah's Witnesses actually say that everyone should, quote, respect other people's gifts of free will, which can be highly problematic depending on the action that they choose to, you know, in a sense, limit themselves to. When they do an action, they're saying that's a limit of their free will when it comes to being another person. So, therefore, you are not supposed to, or, or you're not supposed to feel inclined to step in the middle of someone's free will. And, of course, this can mean utter chaos, depending what is going on. Now, just to reference some, you know, BLM things here. But, moving on, they try to quote Galatians 6, 5. For this which states, quote, for each one should carry his own load, unquote. Of course, if you bother to take a look into the context of what this is implied to in the beginning of the chapter, it means to, of course, imply mild confrontation on the subject of sin, not simply allowing people to exercise their free will. And, of course, free will obviously shouldn't be taken lightly. Also, it is interesting why they make it purposeful to not disclose the whole chapter in Galatians chapter 6, since it furthermore talks about the cross of Christ and not being ashamed of the gospel in the terms of true Christianity, which is clearly left out, which is another aspect of a cult. Normally, people will give each other pamphlets when they're a part of a cult, and they will just 100% remove and take out every single aspect that screams, hello, I'm part of a cult. And of course, that is one of the most completely secretive moves that people following a cult can do. Just as secretive as people not knowing that they're, you know, being controlled within a certain people group and a certain system. Now, let's move on to baptism. Now, as it would be shown in the cult of the Mormon Church, Baptism is required for everyone wanting to be within the Jehovah's Witness, specifically under their entitlement. Yet at the same time, this is another difference in the major cults and the major world religions even. Because they do not view baptism actually as important. They view it less important than most things in the world today that people do as they slowly but surely get older. Baptisms in the Church of Actual Christianity are celebratory function, and they are also an action that represents throwing off your past self, caught in sin, and wanting to start in a new way. Of course, it does not represent a form of reincarnation or any of those aspects of New Age ideology, but it completely represents throwing off your old self. That is, similar to when an animal sheds its skin and you completely do not have your sinful desire. Or, you still have your sinful desire, but you are not wanting to partake in it, and you are choosing not to partake in it. Biblically, and from a Catholic perspective, angels would be praising God the second a person changed and centered on Christ and decided to be baptized. Yet, at the same time, this is obviously opposite with the Jehovah's Witness cult. Because the Witnesses, on the other hand, believe that baptism is not a celebration and in a common way, technically less, less important than someone graduating from high school, college, or something else heavily important in today's world to get people ahead and moving forward. An article written under the New Tribune on the subject in 2019 is entitled as Baptism, 
the most important promise a Jehovah's Witness can make in life. Now, at the very beginning, it says this, quote, the imagery can seem, a, a, can seem very dramatic. A fully clothed body submerged in water, the symbolic death of one's past life. A Jehovah's Witness baptism isn't meant to be an emotional affair. The baptism tub is unadorned, and aside from family members standing by and occasionally taking pictures, baptisms aren't considered celebrations and are met with little fanfare." Unquote. Now this carries on in the epidemic in life today, the religious epidemic, if you will, where people adhere to themselves on the simplistic affair of, quote, being raised as something, unquote, and it explores to the complete, and it explores, I told you this a long weekend, it continues to the completely, to completely detach discipleship and religious functioning from one another, and it makes it no different from atheism and nihilism that proclaims that nothing matters and being raised as something religiously is completely, utterly deemed as pointless and completely no better than simply stating that you enjoy something on the side before you die, which is imminent. Out of reality, the argument that nothing matters, although you know, it clearly does, the argument that nothing matters is in of itself literature of course, argued from nihilistic philosophers of the early 20th century, I believe. Perhaps it's 19th, I think it's 20th century. So out of reality, the argument of nothing matters is actually something that should matter by their argumentation because, well, they're arguing it using words. And of course, words on paper mean something and mean something to history. So therefore, History matters. Pretty much everyone drinks coffee. Over 80% of everybody partakes in drinking coffee. Of course, regardless of if you have to work in the middle of the night or if you get up at 5 a.m. like I do sometimes for some reason, then you need Black Rifle Coffee. Black Rifle Coffee supports our troops and supports pretty much everyone else in their Second Amendment rights by selling their dark black AK-47 ground coffee, as well as other great flavors. They were started by a Green Beret who served our community, and they are also just a fabulous company with fabulous coffee. Go check them out at their website today. Now getting a little bit deeper, uh, given the instance discussed earlier, Jehovah's Witnesses uphold free will as an important gift, but we should practice a godly endeavor of free will, then a worldly, worldly one, and obviously that's what they're trying to do. But of course, we have to add in everything they left out and learn everything that they unlearned to have a correct viewpoint of free will than a cult one. The prospect of all the rules one needs to follow in combination with the prospect of the gift of free will in the context of the Jehovah's Witnesses can either make people extremely reckless or make people not want to practice faith with the classic thought of being in a religious prison, so to speak. This is why people need a better and deeper understanding of philosophy and how it relates to religiosity, considering every time people decide to live by the terms of humanist notions and humanist ethics, humanist notions cause ethics to cease, 
which in turn causes philosophy to cease with it, which in turn causes chaos. And of course, this is generally where our generation tends to be headed, especially when people are more concerned with not getting a job and dabbling with their zodiac signs than they are with actually finding God. And of course, this happens with the step one of obviously not joining a cult to begin with, but of course having a clear understanding of all four of those aspects. Now, let's get very quickly into a little bit of the fraudulency that happened with this cult formation. And of course, this has actually been known and critiqued for a very, very long time when it comes to historians going over this cult history. So concerning the fraud that went on very quickly, the Jehovah's Witness group had a major issue back when Russell was the main man. The scandal took place after Russell found a source of wheat, which he deemed miracle wheat, which of course kind of sort of sounds like every single commercial nowadays that emphasizes some weird paste that you put on a wall that's you know supposed to heal your house or something or give you superpowers, who the hell knows. But he found wheat in multiple wheat fields and suddenly deemed that it was miracle wheat after he bought the property. After selling it for double what it was worth, the scandal was found out and of course, it leaves a trust stain even today on the Jehovah's Witness reputation. The other major scandal involves major finances, which is another reason why they don't enjoy the idea of serving in government, considering that the government can be sly at times, and also considering that the government will, at some point in time in history, come under the complete control of the Antichrist. Of course, that's different from a true Christian theology and we will go over that in a second. But these major finances, which uh, go financially in criminology as second and first degree embezzlement, involved that Russell routed legitimately all of the finances to his own two business accounts. And of course, this is a plague that has plagued the church for a very, very long time, and also plagued the Catholic Church later on when they made ties with people they shouldn't make ties with, and of course routed all of their money to their own financial savings accounts. Of course, this is the first thing that any historian who isn't a Jehovah's Witness will hear negatively about the Witnesses. And of course, in a sense, they end up witnessing to their business fraud which again goes back to the founder working in the furniture stores and I can only think and try to picture exactly what type of fraudulent things he was trying to pull in those furniture stores trying to sell people extensive chairs maybe for double the triple the profit or something I'm not sure he might have tried something back in the day or perhaps that was just what he was starting to get into. Now let's get into clothing really quickly because just similarly to all of the church denominations out there that disagree how a pastor should look, due to the fact that some think that a pastor should look like a James Bond villain in a five-piece suit, if that's even a thing, 
Why some other people suspect that he should look like a t-shirt guy that sells Calvin Klein outside of a local Walmart, clothing is very, very important to the Jehovah's Witnesses, and they have specific measures in place that deem precisely what adults and children should wear during meetings. Now, what can be far more arguable only for today versus biblical times on the subject, considering that no one in biblical times actually dressed like they worked at Target, people not associated with this cult specifically could want to push people away more often due uh, to this notion due to the fact that clothing is very, 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 very specifically controlled. Every single aspect is specifically controlled. And I quite frankly wonder how in the world people that are Jehovah's Witnesses in this day and age and this generation actually get children and young adults to comply with rules like this. Starting directly from the aspect of modesty, think of the Jehovah's Witnesses as a homeschooled community associated with Catholic or perhaps a Baptist church on five times less of the amount of social desire, as they're not allowed to socialize with anybody outside the group unless witnessing. And at the same time, they have to wear one-piece, two-piece suits for all the guys, and all of the women are supposed to also dress similar to what a lot of Baptist women dress with the longest skirts and jean skirts imaginable. Of course, with a sense of modesty and possibly just because that might be what they would wear if they ever did a, a clothing runaway. Who knows? This group also on every single realm of thinking does not allow for the acceptance of tight clothing in any way. They are completely 100% against homosexuality and due to that uh, theology there, they deem that any type clothing in any way, shape, or form must mean homosexuality. And they connect it to what they call metro hypersexuality, which they align together as well with type clothing and homosexuals combined. And for women, the most modern dresses are acceptable and skirts, and skirts, skirts are worn and expected only. For whatever reason, wearing pants as a female is strictly prohibited, and that might be due to the fact that they also tend to interpret the biblical structure of the man speaking and the woman being quiet to be in combination with pants that are worn to be completely negative, considering that only men wear pants. Or maybe you can just take that as, you know, men wear the pants in their relationship, I don't know. But for whatever reason, wearing pants is completely strictly prohibited, most likely to that extent. And at every single time in the gathering, and, and this is also a not very good association with the group, there's a lot of groups out there that are not at all groups that say that they are religious, but of course, this is another situation somehow where the Jehovah's Witnesses deem that they are both. Because when they have meetings that to them are somewhat similar or even entirely the same as going to church, as they would say, they do not deem the Jehovah's Witness meetings as spiritual. 
they deem them as business casual meetings, similar to if you went to a business meeting at a CEO at a CEO building, or similar to if you were just having an employee meeting in the back room at a TJ Maxx. Now, pants are also a strange one, as the Jehovah's Witness claim pants to be non-godly. Of course, in the same, not in the same way as a nudist claim, but in the way that particularly tighter pants make a man look homosexual, and as a result, the Jehovah's Witnesses will actually potentially get banned for life if they show up wearing pants that are far too tight, and of course, we talked about that before. And of course, it's a bit of a contradicting statement on the subject that they wear, you know, these business gathering appropriate attire in their actual religious meeting, but at the same time denounce anyone that wears a pants depending on the sex. In actual business meetings, women are expected to wear pants. Women, of course, obviously if you were in any type of ginormous building within the region of New York, New Orleans, or Miami or any other big city, you would expect to that if you walked into a meeting randomly, you would expect to see a large amount of women wearing attire that is exactly what the Jehovah Witnesses denounce. Of course, this is a showing of a cult that just simply doesn't want to adhere to the normal standards of today, normal dress of today, and completely view something as normal uh, to be completely unbiblical by their understanding, completely and obviously opposite to ours. The Jehovah's Witnesses even directly view their clothing standards to a classic style of a business meeting, as I said before, in a non-religious corporate, uh, corporate facility, which again removes the religious aspect from the entirety of the group. Even though Jehovah's Witness wouldn't say this, the attribute of claiming church meetings as business meetings can overall disassociate them from actual church understanding and, and actual church gathering. And yet, they would say that they're exactly the same, yet non-religious, which again is a very cult thing to do. Now, the writer of this particular article from jwfacts.com mentions that the writer of whom doesn't say what sex they are attains then Australia, where the writer used to reside when they also were a witness, mentions for men, trousers are expected along with ties as well. Of course, further making it look like a normal business meeting instead of something religious, which to anybody should be a red flag and should be considered at the very least strange. But strangely, the Jehovah's Witnesses deem that this is entirely appropriate, despite the fact that is it is extremely hot in Australia. And there's even a quotation within this article that says multiple businessmen were 100% appalled by what was going on and deemed it completely inappropriate. And of course, if you were having actual businessmen say that the dress that you were dressed in is inappropriate, then you probably should consider their knowledge and understanding on the subject, considering they're what you are pretending to be. Now, getting a little bit deeper into the appearance of men when it comes to this cold formation, 
Strangely, the Jehovah's Witnesses claim that beards on a man are one of the most unbiblical facial attributes of men that make up their appearance. This is because they again view their meanings in a business casual way, and some people today would of course deem and view that people that have beards within a business casual or a business corporate facility facility probably are not doing the most appropriate thing when it comes to their appearance in that setting. However, they also just 100% completely ignore the casual characteristics of the Bible when it comes to bearded males. Considering the facts that in the old law, men were actually commanded to grow their beards out due to the fact that the high priests of Chemosh, the high priests of Moloch, and Baal the high priests of Egypt, as a number of examples, had their priests completely clean-shaved due to the fact they viewed that being completely bare of hair in the midst of a god was most holy for their high priests. And of course, this is not exactly the best look for them specifically due to the fact that they are claiming to be in line with the population of God's kingdom. Now, one description from the article mentioned, the writer states that it was expected for all witnesses and even children as young as 12 to wear suits and ties, even in the blistering heat of Australia, which is an actual, which of course, as stated before, was completely deemed inappropriate by everyone around. And of course, they also, as it's widely known, do not enjoy certain aspects of science by means of blood transfusions, which is another term of actually looking at particular cults as cults instead of world religions. As Christian science is another individual group that does this, as they completely ignore science in almost every way. From their Jehovah's Witness Bible, which from the biblical standard has in pretty intense punishments for rewriting the scripture in your own way, states from their take on Romans chapter 13 verses 8 through 10, quote, we owe it to our holy God, to our spiritual brothers and sisters, as well as the people in our territory, to wear clothing that dignifies the message we bear and brings glory to Jehovah, unquote. Now if you take the actual Bible and you actually take it to heart, with the quotation and you look up the exact same verse in the NIV version version of the scripture or really any other part of the Bible it actually is not at all the same section it's not at all the same verse and it does not talk about that passage that passage is completely placed in there on their own accord reading from the NIV version and just cross-checking this it says quote let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law of the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, and whatever the other commandment may be are summed up by this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not harm to, brings no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love has fulfilled the law. Unquote. So interestingly here, not only is the verse that they quote to mean you shall always wear ties forever and ever, 
not actually talking about clothing at all, but it's also the main verse that most take out of context to mean everything is permissible and fine. Really, in a talk with the Jehovah's Witness, this can allow them and steer them in the direction of the actual Bible, if you mention this, and the New Testament, it might open them up to the concept of steering clear of the Jehovah's Witness Bible as it misuses these verses and actually steer towards the actual Judeo-Christian scripture. But of course, there is obviously a high likelihood that if you talk to certain cults as I have, talking to certain people such as Mormons or talking to certain people such as Jehovah's Witnesses and you claim for a fact that you know theology, you have a theology degree, or you simply go against anything they say in particular, there's also a turnoff for them. And they just simply won't conversate with you anymore. So you have to do it very, very slow and very, very subtle in order to actually allow them to understand what you're discerning. Now, let's go over very, very quick uh, some aspects of what the Jehovah's Witnesses cannot take part in. So first, from jehovahswitnesses.org, here are 31 attributes that shouldn't happen as a witness. And of course, this goes again all the way back to that concept I mentioned earlier, where I was, of course, talking about the homeschoolers not socializing. These are some of the most, you know, close yourself off from the world and close yourself off from reality rules of all time. And of course, I'm not meaning to attack them in any way, but these should make people you know, reconsider a lot of aspects of their theology. As we close here and I get into a little part of their mental health directly from the Watchtower. So, number one, here are uh, 32, I believe 31 or 32 rules that they must follow. Number one, they cannot belong to another club with non-believers. They cannot have best friends who aren't witnesses. They cannot attend functions that are sponsored by their employer unless it is mandatory. They cannot associate with people outside their organization. They cannot associate with coworkers outside of business hours and social settings. They cannot disagree with the organizations of the Jehovah's Witness. They cannot disagree with the Jehovah's Witness doctrine. And th that's, of course, an obvious one. They cannot contribute to the presidential campaign on their tax returns. They cannot join the armed forces. They cannot say the Pledge of Allegiance. They cannot salute the flag. They cannot vote. They cannot run for leadership positions in the Jehovah's Witnesses they're invited. They cannot stand or take a stance on politics. They cannot stand on politics that they have outside or inside of their organization. They cannot campaign for a political candidate. They cannot hold political office. They cannot discuss politics. They cannot be in a union. They cannot actively be involved in a union strike. They cannot use a gun to protect against people. They cannot wear anything associated with war. They cannot practice yoga in any form or be a devotee of yoga. They cannot smoke. They cannot work selling tobacco or anything used for smoking. They cannot attend AA. They cannot donate blood or have blood transfusions. They cannot read books or magazines about other faiths or religions. And they cannot look at porn. So perhaps I shouldn't have really included the last one there since it's obvious, it's 
it's very obvious a lot of cults will also say that but on the concept of the pornography that is a very very good thing to not make a theological conclusion that is acceptable as of course it can continuously lead to brain problems when it comes to sexuality and marriage and of course it's not at all ethical on the one before that when it comes to yoga yoga too is a spiritual characteristic and there are extremely dark aspects in the Hindu belief system in certain places that you go and of course that is highly problematic as well on the concept of the religious section there absolutely are books and documentation that should never be read for the sake of the audience I'm not going to mention the documentation by name for the safety of the listeners but of course it is very demonic stuff but unfortunately there's always a way that one can find it and of course pornography supports that type of aspect considering they both go exactly together now since we're starting to run out of time here I'm going to cross reference those characteristics that people cannot do and begin to discuss exactly why it's beneficial to do basically all those things of course besides the yoga and the porn one so coming directly from the watchtower and this is from the watchtower uh, number one uh, 2023 so this is extremely recent I got this from a job I just recently left it says most important the Bible asserts us that our Creator God Jehovah understands our thoughts and feelings better than anyone else he's eager to help us deal with any issues we face consider for example two comforting Bible passages Jehovah is close to the brokenhearted he saves those who are crushed in spirit and of course that's taken from the actual Psalm 3418 but just added in with the Jehovah that they love to plant there and of course it's from the Bible opposite to the actual Bible and it says I Jehovah your God and grasping your right hand the one saying to you do not be afraid I will help you from Isaiah how though does Jehovah help us deal with mental health problems as you will see in the following articles Jehovah shows that he truly cares for us in many helpful ways now what it means Jehovah invites us to talk to him about any burden that weighs on our mind and heart no problem is too big or too small to pray about and it matters to us it matters to Jehovah praying to him is an important step towards feeling peace in mind when we struggle with our mental health we may feel completely alone other people are, do not always understand fully what we are going through but when we sincerely tell God in prayer how we feel he will find a sympathetic and understanding listener Jehovah sees us he knows our pain and struggles and he wants us to pray to him about everything concerning us of course second Chronicles 629 and 30 now that is just a very 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 extremely small section of this as we finish up but of course as you can see there of course this means to reference that God wants to hear us but at the same time if we completely dislodge ourselves from every single person out there and completely dislodge ourselves from so social characteristics no matter what which of course deeming their rule that they can't socialize with anyone outside of the witnesses then of course we will have a lot more poor mental health instead of positive mental health this of course is a big reason 
why people succumb to poor mental health issues. Think about it in this way. Say you are in prison and you also have poor mental health. Of course, talking to someone helps. And of course, maybe talking to the prison guard helps. Of course, maybe talking to your prison mate helps. Of course, obviously, just standing in the corner in solitary confinement isn't exactly going to improve your mental health. And of course, in the same way, and I've felt this way before as well, if you just disregard yourself from all society and you cut yourself off from every single group imaginable and you don't go to the gym, you don't socialize, you don't get a new job, you don't work your old job, you don't start a hobby, you don't you know, participate in political discussion and you don't do things that, well, normal social human beings do, again, not attacking them, but again, just highlighting here all of these important aspects, if you don't do what's healthy, you will succumb to poor mental health. Of course, this is their version of who God is, which of course is a religious interpretation. But my point here is that you cannot have one half of the whole. God expects you to socialize with all other types of people groups. Of course, this doesn't exactly mean that you accept everything every people group does around you, but you collectively socialize with individuals so that your mental health is stronger and you socialize with the individuals that help you and press you towards a stronger relationship with your creator. Of course, with the Jehovah's Witnesses, this doesn't exactly happen, especially if people decide to adhere to all the rules that are stated. 100% we need to allow God's people who are truly God's people to influence our complete mental health, whether it means a pastor, an actual Catholic priest, an actual pastor, or an actual community centered in God's community. And of course, for Jehovah's Witnesses, I would call them to begin to socialize with actual Christians, begin to socialize with actual Catholics, and of course, your mental health will be better and the surrounding community's mental health will also be better. And with that, we will leave it there for today. We did not get to every single aspect of their history, of course, due to my weekend of IPA beverages, but I will be back this week and we will be going over more religious news. Stay safe out there, take care, and I will also have some other special guests soon on the show. Take care.